0: Good morning, church family. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. I used to have a pastor who would often say that the atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. Let me say that again because some of you are still making your way to your seat. He said the atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. And what he meant by that was that we have got to be a faith-filled people believing that our God is able. Amen, somebody? He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. That means whatever it is that you come up with in your mind that you think that God can't do, he can do it. Right? Like he is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Let me just say it this way. God is able to blow our minds. But watch this. This what's as important is that we have that heart that's ready to receive. And so before we dive into God's word, can we just right now ask God to prepare our hearts for his word? Can we do that? Come on, join me in prayer if you would. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent your word, Lord. To heal us, God, spirit, soul, and body. So, God, we pray now that you would just prepare our hearts. May our hearts be found as good, fertile soil by which the seed of your word could be sown today, Lord. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Would we pray right now against distractions? And we pray right now, Father, for undivided attention, Lord God. Lord, just right now to focus on that one thing, Lord, to allow your word to do its work and its bidding in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, would you turn with me to your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 17? for those of you that are just joining us and I'd like to just join in and echo with what Pastor Daniel said uh, if you are a guest here today or if you are watching uh, for the first time online we just want to we want to welcome you i want to welcome you can we welcome our guests our both our online audience It's still amazing to me this week, our elders and I, we had um, a little powwow just kind of talking about the state of the church, and it still blows my mind how many people watch online, and so we love you with our online family, many of you in many other states. I think we've got somewhere right around 11 states that are represented uh, each week, and so we love you guys. We want you to know that, and we pray. Yeah, let them know that, guys, and we pray for you, and we're grateful for you. So send out some love right there on, on our comments. And um, if you are just joining us, however, we have been in a series that we've been calling All In, where we've been going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. And I hope that this series has stirred your heart as much as it has stirred mine. And that's because the, the stories that we are reading about here are an encouragement that God still desires to work through men and women, just as he did back then. I'm talking about God using a people who would be willing to say yes and who would do anything for the cause of Christ. I'm talking about the people who are willing to uh, make and see the kingdom advanced in every area of life. Those who are willing to step outside of their comfort zones and tell others about the good things that God has done for them and that would be willing to start a conversation with others about the good news of the gospel. That means that they would be willing to give of their time, tithe, and talent all for the sake of the gospel. Friends, you've heard me say this before, but... Once we breathe our last breath, what do you think is going to happen? Like the moment that we breathe our last breath, what do you think is going to take place? I don't know if you've ever given any thought to that. If you haven't, you should. Because what many people live their life for ends the moment they die. What I mean by that is your 401k isn't going to do you any good once you've died. Your status, your popularity, your titles, your accolades won't matter at all. And I know I'm coming a little bit strong out of the gate right here, but we've got to seriously explore how much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much of it is biblical. What I mean by that is much of American Christianity revolves around self and catering to self when the central message of the gospel is actually about abandoning ourselves. Friends, I can promise you that when you stand before God, and by the way, we will all stand before God. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. The moment you want to know what happens the moment you breathe your last breath, friend, you will be standing before God. But at the moment that we stand before him, I can promise you this. He's not going to look at you and say, I wish you would have kept more for yourself. Not only that, in that moment you won't be thinking, I wish I would have kept more for myself. I can promise you this, you will wish that you would have given it all away. I always think about this movie. Maybe you guys have heard, how many of you ever heard of Schindler's List? Anyone ever seen it? Have you ever how many of you've seen it, you've seen it before. Okay. If you've not seen the movie Schindler's List, Look, let me just highly encourage you, you need to go watch that. Uh, Oscar Schindler was a German who was also a member of the Nazi Party, but during World War II, he became compassionate toward the Jewish people, and he used his position and his resources to save the lives of more than 1,100 Jews who worked at his factory. And at the end of the movie, the war is over, And his workers are thanking him for all that he had done. And one of his workers gives him a gold ring as a token of his appreciation. But then Oscar Schindler becomes overcome with the emotion and says, I could have got more. And he looks down at the ring and said, this ring, it's gold. I could have gotten more. And then he reaches in his pocket and pulls out a gold watch. This watch, it's gold. I could have gotten more. And then he looks around, and he sees the car that he's driving. He says, this car, why, why did I keep this car? I didn't need this. Like this right here could have gotten me 10 more. And that movie's always stirred me. Actually, it still stirs me because it's a powerful reminder of the importance of us using our influence and our resources to make a positive impact on our world. I mean, when we stand before God, I'm convinced that we're not going to be proud of all the things that we kept for ourselves, but rather for how we served and for what we gave away. Can I just remind you, follower of Jesus, we owe Christ to the world. And a materialistic world will never be won by a materialistic church. I think this is one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about this series is because what we're reading about here in the book of Acts, it's counterculture. Like, for example, our culture prioritizes individualism, materialism, and self-promotion, while God's word emphasizes humility, selflessness, and love for others. Our culture focuses on accumulating wealth and possessions, while God's word teaches the importance of communal living and sharing our resources. Our culture glorifies uh, revenge, conflict, and retaliation, while God's word teaches forgiveness, reconciliation, and turning the other cheek. See, all that we see and read about here in the book of Acts depicts these things that we're talking about. And as a result, we're seeing hundreds of thousands of people who end up coming to Christ as a result. And I can't help but wonder, how would our world be different if we would have adopted, if we would adopt the values and the beliefs and the practices that we see here in the early church? Well, there's only one way that we're going to know. Hello? Church, this series wasn't meant to be a header for this study, but really a call to action. I'm talking about a well-considered response to live all in. To say that in everything that we do, we do for the glory of God. And so that people would come to know him. Now, you should be in Acts chapter 17 by now. Let me just give you kind of the, the trailer before we watch the movie. Very appropriate thing to say since we're meeting in a movie theater. But Acts 17 details Paul and the disciples traveling to three different cities. Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. And what we're going to see here is that in every place they go, two things take place. First, people's lives are transformed. But then second, just like clockwork, opposition comes their way. So let's read the first part of Acts 17. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, got it right, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Now I want you to just pause here for a second. Because what we've read so far is what any minister would consider a good day. I mean, Paul sits and opens up the Scripture, much like I'm doing right now, And he explains to them and proves to them that Jesus was the Christ. And the scripture says that some of them were persuaded. And they joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. In other words, these were influential people, educated people. It wasn't just a group of people who were blindly accepting Paul's message, but the scripture says that they were persuaded. Let me ask you something. What persuaded you to be a follower of Jesus? I asked that question on social media on Friday, and I was kind of blown away at my response. I had over 100 different comments to that question. And uh, it would be impossible for me to mention them all, but I'll tell you what I found, and I can summarize, is that it was that someone somewhere modeled Jesus to them. And almost every single one of them, even though all their stories were different, like someone somewhere modeled Jesus to them. For some, it was a family member. For some, it was a a co-worker or a friend. But someone showed them God's love in various ways that caused them to want to know God. How many of you would say that there was someone in your life that helped point you to Jesus, and that's the reason you have faith in Jesus today? Would you just put your hand up? Look. Almost every single hand in here is raised. But is it this what Jesus said that we were to do? Yeah. And what would happen as a result? That's what Matthew 5, 16 says. It says, in the same way, like is this model right here, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, Paul didn't show up at Thessalonica and start yelling at the top of his lungs at the street corner. No. The Bible said that he sat with them and reasoned with them for three Sabbaths. I think the NIV says three weeks, and that would have been right because there was a Sabbath per week. So he sat with them for three weeks. I mean, he didn't just blow in, blow up, and blow out, but he sat and he listened to them, and he explained the text. And as a result, some were persuaded. Now, as I said, what we've read so far is what we'd call a good day because many people put their uh, faith in Christ. But let's keep reading because verses 5 and 6 says, but the Jews, they were jelly, right? That's the millennial international version right there, okay? The boomers are like, what does he mean by jelly? We got some peanut butter to go with that. They were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. All right, let's stop here for just a minute. So lives were transformed, but now comes the opposition. I mention this because anytime there is a life that's transformed for the glory of God, the devil will do everything in his power to stop that work. And that's not only true in the lives of those that you minister to, but watch this, that's true in your life as well. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And you need to understand this because on the back of everything that God does is an adversary who would try to come and undo the very thing that God has done. Jesus talks about this in the parable of the sower, which you can read about in Matthew 13. He said, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Now watch this. What's that mean practically for you and me? And all the good things that God tries to do in our life. Well, let's say you're in a great place in your marriage. God has done a great work in you and your spouse. And um, everything is just in a good place. But then you go to work. Only to find out that you are being laid off. And now, you know, everything's good in your marriage, but now you find yourself stressed out because you're thinking, how am I going to pay my bills? And the devil would now love more than anything to take this opportunity to tear down what God has built up between you and your spouse. I think that might be a word for somebody in this room. I feel that in my gut this morning. The chances are whenever God does something good in your life, it's not going to be like what we're reading about right here in Acts where they're just going to show up as a mob and come and drag you out of your home. But what it might look like is taking your eyes off of the good thing that he has done with the intent of getting you to focus on what is undone. I often hear people say, it seems like every time I make progress in one area, something else seems to fall apart. Come on, can anyone relate to that and be honest? hey, I get it, I do. Imagine being told that your wife has cancer only to find out the good news that it's not cancer and then the very next day you find out that you have a brain tuber and your neurologist looks at you and tell you that you probably got cancer. So I've learned a few things over the past year. A matter of fact, I'm gonna pass along just a couple of those lessons that, that I learned that I feel like you need to hear. One of them is this, God's not done. Write that down. God's not done he's not done with the work that he's doing in and through your life see I think so many times in different areas of our life we just throw in the towel like we fold when we should be all in how do you like that shameless series plug right there The very reason, uh, or very person sorry, that we're reading about here today, Paul, he goes on to write the book of Philippians. And in Philippians 1.6, he says this. He goes, I am confident of this. You see, when you walk through a, a few things in your life, it will build up a little bit of confidence in you. Yeah. And so that's why Paul could come out and say, I'm confident of this. Because he's saying, hey, I've experienced the goodness of God. How many of you know that a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument? Yeah. And so Paul writes in the book of Philippians, he says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, oh, I prophetically declare this over your life, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it about at the day of Jesus Christ. Yes, he will. And so if something in your life isn't complete, God isn't done. Second thing that I learned was that the devil doesn't have anything But fear and lies. Like when you strip it down, that's what it is. Like that is his M.O. And so it's for that reason that we must preload ourselves with God's word so that we are full of faith and full of truth. Friends, I've got to tell you that whenever Jody and I were faced with all that we went through, the only way we were able to come through is because we had pre-loaded ourselves with the word of God and we had the truth of God in our hearts. Because watch this, his truth is the only thing that will stand against our adversary. Let right. yeah. I me mean, think about it. Whenever Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, each time the devil came at him, the first three words that came out of Jesus' mouth was it is written. Now, if Jesus modeled that for us and showed us as an example that any time the enemy is coming against us, that we need to do as follows, then we should do as follows. It is written. God's word is the one thing you can count on. It will accomplish its purpose. He sent it. It says, just as the, 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 the dew, it falls down into the earth and it rises back up again, so is his word. It will not return to him void, but it will accomplish its purpose. Yeah. So the disciples knew this. Paul knew this. And they would not allow the devil to deter them, to distract them, or discourage them. But instead, they kept advancing the kingdom of God. And as a result, they were labeled as those who turned the world Upside down. Come on, how'd you like to have that on your tombstone, huh? So Paul and Silas led some to Christ in Thessalonica, but there was also great opposition. Now I want us to look at verse 10. Paul's now headed to Berea, where he did the same thing as he did in Thessalonica. He went to the synagogue. He explained the scriptures. Only this time, he received a a much better response from the Bereans. So let's let's read it. In verses 10, we'll read a couple verses. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now, if you recall, in Thessalonica, the Bible says in verse 4 that some of them were persuaded. Some were persuaded. But here in verse 12, it says, many of them believed. Now, Paul did the exact same thing in Berea as he had done in Thessalonica, but with different outcomes. Now, I highlight that because in life, we don't always get the same outcome. See, I think that this can speak to the many different times in life where we put our our hands to something, and sometimes it works out well for us, but then there are, are other times that we feel like we're gaining little to no ground. Like, I don't know, in our parenting. I mean, I know that's something right there that I can relate to. Because I have three kids. We'll call them Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens, all right, (laughs) to protect the guilty. And sometimes I can get through to them. And sometimes they'll listen to everything I have to say. But at other times, I can talk until I'm blue in the face, and it seems like my words fall on deaf ears. Can, Can anyone sympathize with my pain, right? Okay. But watch this. What if Paul and Silas would have came out of Thessalonica saying, wow, that was, that was a lot of hard work for very little gain. Like if they would have done that, then they might have passed on going to Berea, you know, where many came to believe in Jesus. Guess what I'm saying, church, is that we don't do what we do in order to tally the numbers at the end of this thing and then make a decision as to whether or not we're going to continue. Because there will be Thessalonica moments, or maybe I could even say Thessalonica seasons, but then there will also be Berea encounters. Are y'all with me this morning? Several years ago, I remember I bought a couple of 50-pound grass seed, and for whatever reason, it didn't take. And again, to this day, I don't know why it didn't take a lot of things in life we just don't know the answer to. I don't know why that seed didn't take. I know it wasn't because it was bad seed because my neighbor bought his seed from the exact same place and it worked for him. But watch this. I didn't give up on sowing seed because if I had and I would give up, I would have no yard today. Are you with me? But I kept on sowing seed, and if anything, whenever the next season came around, it caused me to have a greater anticipation to continue to sow in order to get what I didn't get last year in hopes of getting it this year. I guess what I'm trying to say is, share the love of God and the message of Jesus at every opportunity. And don't get discouraged when things don't work out the way that you wish that they would. No, just keep sowing seed because the seed is good. It's just that sometimes the seed that we sow lands on soil that's not quite ready for it just yet. No problem. Just keep sowing somewhere else. Or how about this? Work the soil. My daddy said today, maybe you need to get a soil sample. Maybe you need to work the soil a little bit. Maybe you need to spend a little bit more time with him. I remember one of my friends, Jason, I tried to share Jesus with him, and, man, he rejected me at every front. And eventually I thought, man, I'm never going to be able to reach Jason. And then one day, two years later, I get a phone call. I'm on my way to church, and he says, brother, can you come and talk to me? And I said, sure, man, what do you want to talk about? He says, I want to talk about God. I said, sure, what do you want to hear? He says, I I need to hear it all because I don't know nothing. I said, okay. And so I went, and after church, I sat with him. And I remember I had my big old Schofield King James Bible right there that was given to me uh, after I graduated high school, which worked out perfect because I gave my life to Christ the week after I would graduated high school. And so I already had it all marked up because I'd been a Christian for about two years. And I remember sitting with Jason. And before I opened up the Word of God with him, I was just so enamored that he was ready to receive. And I said, Jason, I said, you've got to know, That what I'm about to share with you, like this ain't Huckleberry Finn, okay? This is the living, breathing word of God. And as I'm trying to say my words to convince him and persuade him, he stops me. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, brother, he goes, you ain't got to tell me that. Hallelujah. And the Lord good. He said, your life has already convinced me. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. And that's what we see here. And I think that's what God is is, is wanting to to teach us here. Because sometimes, like I said, you know, um, we have to work the soil. And I had to work the soil with him for a while. But today, guess what? Jason's still serving God. I hope he gets to see this. He probably will. Guys, I'm talking about us continuing to let our light shine. So at the right time, the soil and the seed will come together, resulting in the harvest of a soul. Amen? amen. Now let's look at verse 16. Here we read about Paul traveling from Berea to Athens. By the way, there was opposition there in Berea as well. Even though everyone there was receiving the word of God, all the people that they upset in Thessalonica heard that Paul and, and the disciples went to Berea, and they hear what's going on. And so what do they do? They leave their city. That'd be like going from, oh, we hear what's happening in Jacksonville. So all the Orlandoans, I don't know if that's a word, is going to come on up in here and try to mess up what's going on. So they try to come up and bring, so there's opposition here as well. So again, to just highlight the point, anytime you see transformation, anytime you see advancement of the kingdom, there is going to be opposition. So here we've got verse 16 where we read about Paul traveling from Berea to Athens and his encounter here is one that just gives us all kinds of great lessons for life, love, and living. Like look at verse 16, we'll read down to verse 21, it says, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned. In the synagogue, again, do you see the consistency of Paul here? So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. So this passage right here is is loaded, right? I mean, there's a ton for us to to learn from what's all that's taking place. First of all, the Bible says that Paul was provoked in his spirit whenever he saw that the city was full of idols. Church, let me ask you something. Does your spirit ever get provoked when you see something that's not in accordance with truth? Let me just say that It should, as a follower of Christ. We are not called his ambassadors in order to just merely sit on the sidelines and watch. We are called as representatives of truth who allow our lives to shine in such a way that it dispels the darkness. And what does that mean? That means that we are to be speakers of truth, because truth is what brings freedom. Amen? That's why Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. free. Now, as I said earlier, Paul didn't come yelling on the street corner of them. No, the scripture says that he went, he reasoned with them. Now, I want you to notice something, that it says that he went to the synagogues, but I want you to also see that it says that he went every day into the marketplace of the synagogues. He was going once a week to the Sabbaths. But then it says every day, just like you come to church once a Sunday. How applicable is that? But yet you're going to go to church, I mean, to school um, or uh, school or work tomorrow or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe even Saturday. And I mention all of this because all this that's taken place in the marketplace relates to our culture and 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 because if you're going to be and this is what people will often say and they said it there uh with paul like in the marketplace like if you're going to be talking about all this jesus stuff like just do it in the church yet paul models for us exactly what we're supposed to do we're to take the gospel to the marketplace because guess what that is where it is needed is it needed in the church sure of course but it's needed everywhere It's needed in the workplace. It's needed in our our neighborhoods. It's needed in our schools. And heaven knows it's needed in our government. Everywhere you find a living, breathing soul, the gospel of the kingdom is needed. See, the people of Athens, they didn't realize the bondage that they were in. But Paul knew. And so he preached to them Christ. He preached on the crucifixion. And the resurrection of Jesus. And right out of the gate, he had hecklers. That's going to happen for us. You know that, right, church? I mean, just be prepared for that. Don't give the enemy one second notice if someone stands up and serves. We'll take care of it. we got a great security team. We'll take care of it. But first of all, we're going to come and cast the devil out of them first. So just sit back and put your hands toward them if it happens. Uh, Is that okay to be honest and real? We want them to be free, right? If the devil comes in here, we're going to send that person out free. Amen. But that's what we see happening right here. They have uh, this scripture calls them, uh, says that they were calling him a babbler. The hecklers were saying, who's this babbler? I had to look that word up. I didn't know what, you know what a babbler was, Pastor Daniel? I didn't know what that was. But a babbler is someone whose words don't carry value. There's like, your words have no value. What you're saying right now has no value, no significance, no relevance in my life. That's exactly what they were saying. But notice this, he didn't allow the hecklers to stop him. You know why? Because he knew who he was and whose he was. And watch this, when you know who you are and whose you are, the power of darkness doesn't stand a chance. Let me bring your attention to something that gets easily overlooked here. Verse 21 says, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Now pay attention to this church because I think this right here is actually a lesson for the body of Christ. There are a lot of Christians who go from place to place, conference to conference, gathering after gathering, even church after church, and they do so for the purposes of going and hearing the newest and the latest revelation. And many of them put emphasis, a lot of emphasis, on dreams, prophetic words, and visions above the word of God. Now, we know that God does indeed speak through visions and, and prophecies. We, we know that, right? And we, we welcome those things. But never does God elevate any of those things above his word. And as a matter of fact, if we set that like bef- the whole, cart before the horse, we've got it out of order if we're seeking those things. We need to be longing for the pure milk of the word, as the scripture says. Are you with me? I think this, by the way, I don't think that's probably applicable to anyone in this church, but it's something that you need to be aware of. Because 2 Timothy 4, 3, it highlights this. It says that, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. Now, if the Bible says that it's important that we have good teaching and good sound doctrine, then I trust what the Bible says. It says there's going to come a time when people's not going to tolerate sound doctrine. I remember one time I was sharing God's word with someone because they were doing something that was clearly against God's word, and I was being gentle about it. When I shared it with them, they looked at me, they said, well, I don't care what the Bible says, I know what God told me. Now, that person was just ignorant enough to say that out loud, (laughs) but I think there's a lot of people that's smart enough to say it out loud, but they're thinking it. It says, for the times will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. See, this is the case in what's happening here with Paul in in Athens. They wanted to hear Paul's revelation in hopes of it fitting in with their already predetermined and established lifestyle. And then in verse 22, through the rest of the chapter, God opens a door for Paul uh, to speak to the Areopagus where, by the way, that's the legislators of the city, where Paul just comes out and slays it. Whereas we would say in the South, he just preaches the pain off the wall, right? I mean, he just delivers an A-plus message. And really, Paul's message serves to show us how to best uh, reach others for Christ. And I'm not going to read it right now because it's it's a lengthy uh, passage of Scripture, but it's really good. Um, But I want to give you just kind of some key takeaway points because, church, I want to equip you. I feel like that's my job. Right In Ephesians 6, when you've got the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, like our job, the scripture goes on to say, is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Well, I just want to highlight that right here is a great model in how we are to share Christ with others. Because the scripture says this. The first thing that we see that Paul did was that he understood his audience. And I'll tell you what, I've found that there's been times, I went and spoke at a school many years ago, I was a youth pastor. It's probably been 25 years ago. And it was the type of school where the students, they didn't fit in at the public school or they got kicked out of the public school. So I guess you could say it was a last chance school. And I'd never had an audience like that. I'd been a youth pastor for several years. And so I'd kind of got used to a church crowd where people, you you know, turn to your neighbor and say, you know, and all that. And people know what to do. I pulled that. Just not thinking, not aware of my audience. And, and, and I'm sitting there talking to them, and I said, Hey, look at the person next to you and say that. And they all just stood and looked at me like this. <whistles> I didn't know my audience. Need to know your audience. And that's what Paul did here. He started by acknowledging that they were a religious group. He goes, Hey, I, I see here, you know, all that you got. And he even quotes one of their poets in order to try to connect with them. The second thing that he did was he found. Common ground He pointed out that they had A belief in what they called An unknown God And he used that to introduce Them to the God of the Bible And then the third thing that he did Was he presented the gospel With clarity Guys it's so important that we are able to Clearly articulate the gospel You don't have to have a doctorate You don't even have to have a high school doctorate Diploma. None of the disciples had a high school diploma. Are you hearing me? In order to be able to clearly uh, tell your testimony and share Jesus with people. This is really what we talked about uh, a few weeks ago uh, when we talked about contextualizing the gospel. Like he presented the message of Jesus in a way in which they could relate. And then fourth, he was willing to engage in dialogue. Now watch this, because I think this is probably where the church sometimes comes up short. Like, I think sometimes... We understand the gospel. We know what to say. We've been in church for, for quite some time. We're even able to look and say, okay, maybe I could go and talk to that person about their Jaguar shirt. Maybe I can say something about their fishing shirt. Maybe I can talk about their car. Maybe I can see that they have kids. So I start talking to myself. I found a common ground. Okay, I, I'm quite certain that person, I heard him drop five F-bombs. I'm, I'm seriously doubting he that he's an elder at a church somewhere. So he probably doesn't know the Lord. Um, so... So we know our audience, and we we see some common ground, but are we willing to then start a meaningful conversation with someone about Jesus? Friends, I'm going to tell you something. I, I don't have any special giftings. I'm just telling you. Like, I... If they had any of those, what was that thing called, one they, they vote you to see uh, where you'll rank on something. I forget what that's called. But, like, if, if I was ranked, I, I would have been, like, one of the not most likely to succeed. I would have been, like, the most likely to end up in jail, you know. No, no joke. No joke. Let me tell you something. God will use you if you will just say yes. If you'll say yes. Well, I don't know what I have to say. Don't worry about it. Just open your mouth. Trust God. Step out and let him use you. I've been having a burning desire in my heart lately to share Christ with everyone that I can. I'm telling you, it's happening. It's happening left and right. It's, it's happening um, in the marketplace. And it's so simple. Sometimes I'll be like, you know what? I'll just start talking about whatever. You know, I saw someone, I said, hey, man, I like that shirt, man. I'd wear that thing. And they're like, oh, who doesn't like being told that they look good, right? It's the reason Daniel said, tell somebody you look good, right? It felt good, didn't it? Daniel came over and said, you look good. I said, thank you. Right? Kind of look like an Easter egg today, but I don't know. It's like, thank you. <laughs> but just start a conversation with someone. That's what Paul did. He sat down and had a conversation. But introduce Jesus into that conversation. There's so many ways you can do that. For me, it's so easy because I just tell people I'm a pastor and people, oh, oh, wonderful. All right? But you can find a way. You can find a way. Say, man, I, can I just tell you, God is so good. You can just start with that. Yeah, I, even if you're checking out right there. I, I Winn Dixie. I was sitting there the other day checking out and putting my phone number in. And I looked, I said, can I just tell you something? She looked at me, I said, you know the Lord's so good. She goes, yeah, really, how? Oh, glad you asked. (laughs) Yeah, they may say amen because they may be a believer, and so then you get to encourage another believer who's maybe having a hard day at work because the boss has been coming down on her, and so now you're encouraging that person, hello, or you could be rescuing someone from the pit. Come on. I feel like so many Christians are committing the, the, the sin of silence. Because we've been given these gifts and Jesus talks about it because he says that we have these talents. And so many of us, we're like the guy who goes and buries it. And we bury our talent by keeping our mouths closed. And we expect everyone else to do something about it. But we've got to start a conversation, a meaningful conversation. That's what we see Paul doing it. I love that right here in Acts 17, you may want to go home and read Acts 17, especially the portion in Athens where he gives that message and watch how Paul handles it and, and look at the points. He understood his audience, he, he found common ground. He presented the gospel with clarity. Like, sit down and like, write out this is what I would say if all of a sudden someone says, How to you? Well, this is how. Even if it was, Once I was blind and now I see, once I was living for the things of this world. And it didn't fill me. It didn't make me happy. It didn't give me peace. And God brought me peace. Come on, how many of y'all could say, that's my story right there? Yeah, see? Because you got a story. You got a story. Amen. But he presented the gospel with clarity. And he used it to contextualize the gospel. He was willing to engage in dialogue. In other words, he answered their questions and even responded to their objections. And he did so in a respectful way i remember one time there was a street preacher and he was just yelling at people and i went to him to have a conversation he, did, he wasn't interested in a conversation don't be that guy welcome in you know what we welcome i, I always say this look we, we welcome the 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 the, the atheist the agnostic and the ignorant come on we welcome them all <laughs> questions are welcome here yeah. right and we're willing to sit down and engage with them in dialogue. And when we do so, we're going to do it in a respectful way. I would have been willing to have a conversation with that brother that felt the need to address all you guys after he turned his back to me and looked and wanted to teach. And I said, no, sir, not here. Right? There's a time to do that. And we, we, would, we welcome those. Okay? And then last, hmm, and this point right here certainly cannot be overlooked. He trusted the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not just apologetics. It's not just knowing what to say and how to say it, but it's even then us igniting faith to trust that God to do what only he can do because only the Holy Spirit can do that work in people's hearts. But watch this. Even after Paul delivered this outstanding like preaching the the pain-off-the-wall sermon. The Bible says that Paul was mocked. Friend, can I just tell you something? You will get rejected from time to time when you share Christ. It's going to happen. Like if you're sharing them, I remember one time I went to go share a little invitation card, you know those beautiful invitation cards that Pastor Daniel talked about a lot that you should have in your purse in your back pocket so that whenever you find the opportunity to use it, you've got it there. Make us go print more. I dare you. I double-dog dare you. And so I was handing it out to a few people. Why not? I'm waiting on my drink to be made. So I go over and I said, hey, man, I just wanted to give this to you. And I got some serious rejected rejection. He looked at me and goes, what makes you think I want to? I mean, I won't go into all. I ain't going to give the devil no glory. But you know what? I said, okay, brother. Love you. I'll pray for you. See, King stopped me from praying for him. And I went right to the next person and to send them an invitation, right? What did I do? I kept sowing seed. You will get rejected from time to time when sharing Christ. But watch this. Be of good cheer because you'll, you're, you'll be finding yourself in good company. Because Paul was rejected. But they also rejected Stephen. They rejected Timothy and Peter. They rejected John the Baptist and James, just to name a few. And, of course, we can't forget they rejected Jesus. But watch this. But verse 34 says, that some believed. That night I gave my life to Jesus Christ, two people raised their hands, me and another guy. And the other guy left and went straight to a party. No joke, he looked at me He goes, ready to go smoke a joint? Like right afterwards. And I'm thinking, dude, what? I mean, I don't know what went on and I'm not judging him. I just, I know, I know what went on with me, right? I'll tell you what I did. I said, uh, no. And I went straight home, woke my parents up, Daddy can tell you, 2 in the morning, and told them what I did. I said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I said, I died tonight. And friend, that was what I did. I died that night. Jesus saved me. He forgave me. And my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And friends, my life has never been the same since. Why am I telling you this? Because someone shared the gospel with me. I was one of those, as verse 34 says, who some believed. But how are they going to believe unless someone tells them? How are they going to believe on him whom they've never heard? Will you tell them? Hmm? Will you tell them? Will you tell them? Will you tell them? Or will you just assume that someone else will? I think this right here is probably one of the biggest problems that we have right now, and it's the reason that we're not probably experiencing revival right now, is that everyone is assuming that someone else is going to do it. And if I could just kind of bring our time to close to just at least paint this picture for you, imagine, if you could, you see someone out in the water drowning, and you're the only one, who has a life preserver. Would you throw it to them? But what we're talking about this morning. Is of much greater significance. In eternity. Sharing the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. With a lost world. Is throwing a spiritual life preserver to them. Because friends. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people But they need to know that because of their sin, they need forgiveness and that God has made a way for that to be possible. Say, how's that? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I'm going to ask every person to stand with me, if you would. And here in just a few minutes really felt it appropriate today for us to have communion together. So we're going to do that. So hold tight. But before we do, I just want to ask, who's here this morning? And you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know what brought you here this morning, but in your life right now, spiritually, you're drowning. What I mean by that is you know that you are not in right standing with God. You know that inside of you is a God-sized cavern, and maybe you've been you know, trying relationship or job or status. You're trying all of these things that you've been throwing in, and it doesn't fill that void. Friend, I'm going to tell you what will not only fill the void, but will fill it to overflow, and that is Jesus. You and I have been placed on planet Earth to be a worshiper of God. And anytime we worship anything other than him, our empty hearts craves worship. But when we would say yes to him and say, God, I am all in and we begin to pursue him, friends. That is when we experience life and we experience it in abundance. And so I want to ask who is here and you have not fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. I want to give you that opportunity right now. That can be those of you watching online or those of you here in person. But you say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ because there's parts of my heart I have not surrendered. And I want to be all in. So this is a call for who says, I've not been all in, but I want to be all in. I want to ask you right now to raise your hand. Say, I'm in. I'm all in. Come on, raise your hand. Yeah. Praise God. Who else? Yep, yep. Come on, several people are saying, I'm all in. Who else? Online, you too, even even you may be the only person right now in your living room, but you raising your hand up. God sees it, and he sees your heart. And right now, the scripture teaches us this. It says that if we will confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. That's a Greek word, sozos. That means that we will be complete. That that God-sized cavern will be full. And not only will it be full, friend, it will be filled to overflow. And so right now, I want to just lead those of you that said, I'm all in. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. It's a prayer of surrender to God that says, Jesus, I'm all yours. And those of you that have prayed this prayer, I know that's many of you, the the majority of you. I wanna invite you to join in with the three or four that I could see here that says, yes, I'm all in. And we're gonna all together confess Jesus as Lord. Can we do that? What a beautiful thing. Can we do that right now? Come on, pray this out loud. Those of you that raised your hand, take ownership of these words. Pray this, Lord Jesus. I confess my need for a savior. I ask you, Lord, Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died on the cross for the sin of the world, for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. And now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known in Jesus' name.